the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. I am Seth Liebson as we head into our two. Privileged and honored and delighted to welcome back Brandon Weikert. He is the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. You can pre-order it right now. Be in your uh, Be in your hands next month. And an upcoming book, Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. If you want to know how committed to democracy Brandon is, he allows you to vote on his book cover designs. Brandon, welcome back. How are you, man? I am good. Thank you for having me. Yes, I should I should let your audience know that those are three possible covers. Encounter is working on a few more just to keep me uh, busy. You want my vote? Yeah, I like the I like the black cover with the dragon above the word biohacked. Yeah, that was the one I fixated on. My well, there wife. it is. The end of democracy. There we go. My, my my wife, though, is really pushing for the the, the red one, the she, third one. I wonder why she prefers yeah. that. She says, well, you know, my wife has worked in medicine. She's a yeah. geneticist by training. So yeah. she she says that she thinks uh, the the cover would be more appealing to non-national security audiences. She's right. I see it. I, she's totally right. It looks more medically interesting uh, on yeah, her cover. So I get it. I'm trying yeah. to see if maybe Encounter can send me one where they use that scheme, but they take the dragon and turn it part of it into a double helix. Okay. So it looks like, you know what I mean? So yeah. The, you know, because I like the dragon, too, but... You know, you know, she's totally yeah. right. We're coming at it from our, um, our, our you know, every our anthropologist bias. likes his own tribe. We're coming at it from the yeah. national security angle. She's yeah. totally right, though. If I do another book on China, though, with Encounter, I'll tell them, let's reuse that, that design scheme for the next one. <laughs> By the way, I haven't, I haven't yeah. met your wife, but it would be nice if you would go back and, uh, after the interview and say, By the way, just off the phone with Liebson, he says you're right. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Get, me and, a good, uh, get friend, me a good step our, in the door there. <laughs> and, our, and our friend Thaddeus McCotter said, what are you thinking? It's been settled. You go with the one your wife said. Yeah, yeah. Thaddeus <laughs> McCotter is great. Oh, he's right, too. All right, all right. Uh, our graver business frowns upon this levity, Brandon. Um, yeah. We have a lot of heavy-duty lifting. First off... Um, Kharkiv, uh, uh, Ukrainians celebrating. Uh, Is there good cause for celebration there? There is. Um, It was what happened over the weekend was a a masterstroke of deception on the part of the Ukrainian military. They basically, for the last several weeks, had been hinting they were going to hit one area of southern Ukraine where the Russians are really dug in like a tick. Uh, But they ended up, you know, getting Russia to really re- refocus on that one southern area. And then the, the Ukrainians decided, nope, we're going to attack this other part, uh, uh, part of, of the Ukrainian uh, area that's held by Russia in the east that was not as well defended uh, and had a lot of friendlier people on the ground that would welcome the Ukrainians. It was a masterstroke of, of uh, that kind of 
deception plus combined arms the Russians were taken completely by surprise. Having said that, and this is, I don't mean to pour cold water on the celebrations here, but I'm a realist and I'm somebody who lives in, as Rush Limbaugh would say, in Realville. Yeah. Um, this, this is a very small, very important but small victory. Uh, what the Ukrainian regime was doing, I think, was trying to send a message, uh, kind of like Abraham Lincoln was with his, you know, trying to win those victories in the very harshest parts of the Civil War. Right. Uh, uh, he's trying, Zelensky's government's trying to send a message to his own people that, hey, we hang in there, we're going to do this. But at the same time, more importantly, I think the Ukrainian government is trying to send a message to Europe that, please, I know the winter's coming, I know the Russians are going to freeze you out, please do not lose faith in us because, look, we're able to do this radical new plan, execute it without a hitch, make the Russians look bad. Um, but at the same time, this was a small but area of the Russian defensive line. The Russians are running scared right now. They are com- taken completely by surprise. This is a victory for Ukraine, but we have to see what the Russians do next. How are they going to reorganize? As Angelo Cotevilla wrote in his last book, uh, he talks about in that last chapter uh, how Russian military history is basically one big uh, covering retreat, uh, reorganizing to fight a be- another day a better way. Sure. And so the concern needs to still be that Russia still has nukes. They still have space capabilities. Yeah. They still have cyber capabilities. Yeah. They still have hypersonic capabilities yeah. that they haven't really deployed fully. Yeah. And so, you know, the, Putin looks really bad now. And Putin's going hat in hand in the next week to meet with Xi Jinping of China, who he's trying to solidify this alliance with. He doesn't want to look bad. He doesn't want to look like the weaker partner here. So he might do something crazy to try to reset the table. Sure. So, again, big victory for Ukraine, yes. It, it's, Ukraine is trying to solidify their partnership with Europe and America. At the same time, though, we got to see how this other shoe is going to drop. I think if the Ukrainians can convert these tactical gains, which are significant for Ukraine especially, if they can convert those tactical gains into a strategic end of the conflict, that basically preserves and maybe even enhances Ukrainian territory, but still allows the Russians to save face on some level so they don't go crazy, uh, I think that would be a win for everybody. But who knows if that's possible? Well, Brandon Weicker, you're such an inductive thinker to do this in the phases that you've done it. Between your point that you just – series of points you just made on this uh, Kharkiv situation to what you tweeted about with regard to uh, Sergei Lavrov saying – Russia's yeah. not giving up on peace talks to your piece in the Asia Times uh, about yeah. what happens when Putin goes. Let's let's run through it. Uh, hold yeah. that. Hold hold the piece in the Asia Times. Talk to us about what you um, what you wrote about time to play. Let's make a deal. Yeah. So as soon as this offensive occurred and it was obviously a decisive victory for Ukraine. And you have to understand. Ukraine really figured out, they figured out modern warfare. They figured out warfare in the 2020s, which is not like warfare of the last 50 years. This is rapid. It is unconventional. It is attacking where you don't expect, where the enemy doesn't expect. The Ukrainians are all over what John Boyd used to call the OODA loop, observe, orient, decide, act. Uh, that they, they are all over the Russian decision-making cycle. They're ahead of them. They're beside them. They're, they, the Russians don't know how to adapt. 
And so this is a bad place for the Russians to be militarily. So the naturally Lavrov representing the Kremlin is now throwing out a feeler saying, okay, now we're ready to talk where the last eight months, seven months, Russia has really dragged its feet on these negotiations because they thought they could do better in the field. Well, now here we have the Russians very well could get kicked out of the remaining part of Ukraine that they have held since 2014. Uh, and that would be a huge strategic disaster for Russia, it could precipitate a nuclear conflict because that, that might be the thing that sets off Putin to go complete madman. Uh, but with, with that being said, obviously, to me, the Kremlin is looking for maybe a window to say, okay, let's cool this thing, let's freeze this conflict. Now, friends of ours at the Hudson Institute, I love the Hudson Institute, big supporter of them, but they're sort of taking the Ukrainian line, which is to say, okay, now that we made these gains, let's push, let's go for broke. Let's push the Russians out entirely and then demand war reparations immediately. Yeah, no, well, we're not. No, that, I'm not there. That sounds no, great. Right. That sounds great. It sounds great. But unfortunately, Russia, with its large nuclear weapons arsenal, and let's face it, its unstable domestic political scene yeah. right now, it's evidenced by the Dugan assassination attempt. Let's get real here. Yeah. That's probably not the best thing to do. Sun Tzu advised his followers to basically... Uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but to always leave one avenue of escape for your enemy so that your enemy doesn't become a fanatic and try to take everything down with them. And so the, the smart play for Ukraine would be to, yes, keep pressing their advantage, but to now seriously meet the Ukraine, call the Russians out and say, okay, you want to have a meeting? Let's have a meeting. Here's what we're willing to talk about, and here's the timeline we need this thing to be wrapped up by. And if you're not going to do that, guess what? We're going to keep pushing you. Because right now the Ukrainians do have the advantage. But they do need to be with this kind of track, too. They do need to be working hard on an actual diplomatic resolution, because this thing is not going to end well if the Ukrainians are able to push the Russians out. The Russians under Putin, because at this point Putin will have nothing left to lose. Putin will go full madman mullah. And he will start popping off nukes like it's a you know Fourth of July parade. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that and your column, which kind of gets us uh, to potential aftermaths in the Asia Times when we come back. Let's send our friends over at Hudson some Abraham Lincoln. One war at a time was what he was known for right. saying, right? One right. war at right. a time. Brandon right. J. Weikert is our guest. I am Seth Liebson. We're taking a quick commercial break. He's not going anywhere. Don't you either. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Cool Touch, air conditioning, heating, and plumbing. For any air conditioning and plumbing needs you have any time, give my friends at Cool Touch a call. I've been using them for years. My friends have, too. And they all say and think the same thing I do. Chris Funk and his team have a heck of a great organization. From the customer service to the actual service, you'll just know right away it's different and it's better at Cool Touch. Check them out at Cool Touch. Dot us or give them a call at 623-748-4942. 623-748-4942. Brandon Weikert is our guest, the author of several books, including Winning Space, The Shadow War, and the one uh, that you can vote on the cover of, Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. Uh, Brandon, uh, let's stick with Russia a moment. Um you have a piece in the Asia Times that begins Russia's invasion of Ukraine now enters its seventh 
month. Now, before I go further into the merits of what you write, I just had to pause on that. Seven months ago, Joe Biden yeah. was trying to uh, Joe Biden was trying to unite the country over the evils of Russia and the uh, victim uh, victimhood of Ukraine. He never speaks of it anymore. The evils are now nope. half. The evils right now have been converted, and it's uh, half of America is now the enemy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he can't, you know, he initially started out doing the right thing, I would say, and trying to sound tough on China. But, of course, that was hollow, and that ended very quickly. And then he shifted over to let's do Russia. Uh, and then, of course, he couldn't get any traction on that. So now it, it's MAGA. It's MAGA Republicans, whatever that means. Uh, and so it's, uh, you know, it's the new... The new boogie. And let's face it, he can do something about that, right? I mean, it's a lot easier to pick on people in your own neighborhood than yep. it is to have to go actually to an actual blighted area and deal with the, the real crime and, and danger of a place far away. It's easier just to pick fights with your neighbors, uh, which is exactly what the Democrats are doing. And sadly, it, it actually looks like it might be working in their favor, at least from an electoral standpoint. I think and, it is. I think it's moving yeah. some people. I do. I think it's moving a lot of people. I don't think the Republicans are going to win the Senate. Uh, I think the Republicans are going to struggle with the House. Um, and I think that there's a real, I think we are going to see, you know, Thomas Sowell in 2020 wrote an article that was very controversial. I loved it. But he said that if Joe Biden were elected, this would be the tipping point, the mm -hmm. point of no return for the United States. And my concern is we've had 60, 70 years now of liberal vice grip control over our media, our news, what Lenin called the transmission belts of a society, yep. pumping in three generations now, pumping in untrammeled left-wing garbage into the minds and bodies and souls of American people. And I think now, now the American voter, a lot of them are primed to just, they're in receive mode. They're going to receive the propaganda that the Republican Party, which they've been conditioned to hate and distrust for years, for generations, is now the enemy of the state. And they have so willingly accepted that. It's very scary to me. I do think that, that, that we might, we should decisively win this midterm, but I don't think it's going to be decisive at all. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope you're uh, wrong, think, too, and I'm worried, about it. Uh, I'm worried about I, yeah. it. I'm worried about it. I'm worried about it. I hope you're wrong, too. It's a hell of a thing to go to look, war against it, your own people like this. It is, so. but if you look at how Biden and the Democrats have been so consistent in this message, look at Ohio. Yep. Ohio is a deep red state, yep. and yet I was reading this Hill article. I couldn't believe it. Basically, the 46% of voters in Ohio say they want to vote uh, against the Biden uh, plan or policies to change the direction of the country going into 2024. And yet, uh, something like, I think, for an equal number, 46% of the same people, when asked who they're going to vote for, they're going to vote against the Republicans. Now, that's partly because, and I hate to say this, I think J.D. Vance is not the strongest candidate in Ohio, but I still think he's a strong candidate. But I think this is largely because the Democrats have been so good at ginning up the so-called independent voter and sort of the, the normie voter into just reaffirming their bets against Republicans that they're leaning toward Tim Ryan and the Democrats now. And that's sort of a, a microcosm of what's going on across the country. And it's just really tragic because it's lies. It's absolute lies. And so rather than the Biden administration rallying us to stand up against the evils of Russia or China or Iran, 
You have the Biden administration kind of trying to downplay Russia now because it's, it's inconvenient, trying to make nice with China because they want to get an economic deal and a Green New Deal, and then trying to hand over the Middle East to Iran, the crazies in Iran, and then turn all of that firepower and intelligence capability on fellow Americans who just happen to vote against Biden and Democrats. This is a very scary time. Brandon, I agree. I agree with everything you said. And I think there's another additional element here, which is, and you know from your study of history and politics, that it's easy to provoke a democracy into overreaction. But I think the Democrats learned that it's easy to put the public in fear. I I think what they learned from COVID was that we can create hysteria over over things that don't require hysteria and they have landed on this in a winning campaign when it comes to the hysteria of domestic terrorism brought to you by the Republican Party, which is a greater yes. threat than Al Qaeda. It's an inevitable ultimate end to the elephantine, um, opaque national security state that we have, that we have built for the last fifty years. A national security state that I served and worked for happily for many years, but you know, now we are reaching, I think, the, the point where we have to be able to say there are a lot of excesses here, that we do need national security protection. But now that national security protection has been weaponized by one political party to use against their domestic political uh, opponents, not because those domestic political opponents are overwhelmingly right-wing terrorists. There's a very small handful of people who would actually fall under that rubric. Uh, but because it's a lot easier to simply use force and the threat of force to intimidate and crush that opposition rather than to debate and fight that opposition in what Rush Limbaugh used to call as the arena of ideas. Yeah. That's the scary thing. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, let me do this. Uh, we, we, I, I, we still didn't get to the merits of your column at the Asia, Time, uh, Asia Times, so let me take a quick commercial break. Sure. And let's talk about, uh, as you put it in your subtitle, Western observers are kidding themselves if they think Putin's autocracy will be succeeded by blooming democracy. We've made that error too many times. We don't have to do it again. Let's visit on that when we come right back, Brandon. As I go to break, let me put in a word for our sponsors at YReFi. If you are looking for a remarkable and unique investment opportunity, I'm talking about a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% return for investors, all in a secure collateralized portfolio. Check out my friends at YReFi. They are a due diligence-approved firm. They're investors who do really well by doing good for others. You can be a part of that, too. Check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com. Or check them out at 855-316-3087. 855-316-3087. A local company. You can visit them. You won't get a sales pitch. They'll just tell you about what they do and let it speak for itself. Sing for itself. I'm Seth. He's Brandon Weikert. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. You heard an ad there for Balance of Nature. I take it every single day. Best product I've ever taken. You take it once a day and you're getting that blend of pure, potent plant power. 16 whole fruits, 15 whole vegetables in one daily dose. 100% natural. Not a thing added. Not anything added to it. As I say, it's the best product. I take it every single day. You can too. Balanceofnature.com. That's balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. 
Uh, Brandon Weikert is our guest, and uh, we have been wending our way. He's been using big words. Let me try that one. <laughs> wending our way <laughs> towards his column in the Asia Times, where he is a columnist, among other things. Uh, Putin's regime may be near end, but what then? We're not going to see a blooming democracy if he goes, which is a big if in and of itself. Right, Brandon? Oh, I think that if the war keeps going the way it is and the Russians resist the urge to go nuclear, should they be either totally or almost totally evicted from Ukraine? Oh, I do think the Putin regime is over. Okay. I, I, I think that I, it's very telling, as I note in the article, because the article was a response to the attempted assassination three weeks ago right. or two weeks ago right. of Alexander Dugan, which right. ultimately killed Dugan's daughter. Right. Um, what, what I was saying is that if you look at what was going on in the context of, what, of that assassination attempt, Dugan got himself into hot water. Now, he's one of the loudest proponents of that sort of Russian chauvinism, neo-imperialism, restore not just the Soviet Union, but the Russian Empire. And so... He is to the, you know, he's a, in the Russian sense, if you want to say on the right, whatever, but he's a hardline guy. And Putin and a lot of people around Putin like or at least listen to Dugan. They may not like him personally, but Dugan was saying right before the assassination attempt that the Ukraine war was not going well. And now he was not saying Putin should withdraw forces from Ukraine. He was saying basically they should just go full bore and just annihilate the whole country with whatever weapons they can, uh, and that Putin was too weak for that, that he was too conciliatory. And so Dugan was hinting, as well were others on his side of that Russian political spectrum, they were hinting that maybe it's time for Putin to go because he's just weak. And we need, some, we need a strong, a truly strong man. We need a, a new Russian emperor who will embody the tenets of Russian imperialism and Russia's Eastern Orthodox Christian Church. Basically, they need a Russian version of the Ayatollah, uh-huh. uh, or the you know they need someone who's just nuts to just go in and obliterate Ukraine and any other country in, of the former Soviet Union that dares resist Russia's imperial grasp. And so that assassination happened. Many were saying, including David Goldman, and I'm starting to lean this way as well, in the context of those statements that Dugan made, which is probably why they tried to take him out because the Russian security services acting under Putin's orders were trying to send a message to the Russian hardliners. You better stay in line and stay behind Putin and not start calling for his overthrow. However, Dugan and the hardliners have been saying, unless Putin wins the war decisively soon, that within the next six months, his regime will cease to be. Interestingly, a very, very good study, and you know I'm not the biggest Ivy League fan, but a very good study of Russia's economic situation, the true economic situation, was conducted by Yale University in July of this year. And they predicted that six to eight months from the issuance of that report over the summer, that the Russian economy, despite the inertia, despite the fact that they've been able to avoid a total collapse of their economy with the sanctions, that the Russian economy is simply going to collapse under the pressures of the war and the sanctions within the next six to eight months. And so what I did in my article, Seth, was I said, okay, these are two very important data points. You have the internal unrest, not just from liberals in Russia who don't like Putin, but from hardliners who loved Putin until this war started going badly, saying six months' time, there's going to be a change politically. And now you've got the uh, very smart people in the West saying, based on the data points they're looking at, 
Russia's got six to eight months of, of economic life left before everything crashes. And what I'm saying is the last time there was an economic collapse in Russia was in the 90s, and that was the end of the Soviet Union, and we got a decade of chaos yeah. uh, followed on by a real weak democracy under Yeltsin, followed on by Putin's authoritarianism, yeah. which has led to this place. So my concern is that maybe these forces that are analyzing both within Russia and outside of it are saying, you know what? Six to eight months, if Putin can't win, if he can't show the world that he's the tough guy who can win, all of this will be for naught. The, the economy will collapse, then the political system will further destabilize. Putin will not be able to keep the center together. He'll get kicked out or killed. And then my fear is that you'll have either a multi-sided civil war with loose nukes and all this craziness, or you'll have the rise of that Dugan-type messianic strongman who will oh, just beautiful. start launching nukes. What philosophers call a case of insufficient options. Let me do this. Let me go to the quick. It break. won't be democracy. Yeah, right. Exactly. Let me let me take a quick break and come back. Your vice president spoke at the National Space Council ah. meeting as the author of Winning Space. You must have a thought or two on that. I'll let you share it when we come back, Brandon. Okay. I'm yep. Seth. He's Brandon Weikert. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. You know your dollar buys less and less uh, today than it did even a month ago. I know this. We're all painfully aware of it every time we go to the store or shopping or fill up our tank. The good news is that gold and other precious metals traditionally hold their value when economies fail and fall like now. If you're interested in adding gold or other precious metals to your portfolio, your savings, your investments, your retirement... Check out my friends at Midas Gold Group, the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group. These are really good guys. They're smart and good and conservative. Give them a call at 480-360-3000, 480-360-3000, or check them out online at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. Brandon J. Weikert, author of Winning Space and the Shadow War and Biohacked is our guest, columnist with the Asia Times, as well as American Greatness and the Washington Times. Brandon, um, as per your first book, Winning Space, you must have been delighted to see the vice president went to Texas and uh, spoke at the National Space Council meeting. <laughs> uh, NASA is a disaster, and the Biden administration is making everything worse. Uh, it's not surprising that the Artemis rocket did not launch uh, at any point when NASA said that it would, uh, assured us it would. Uh, they, the, the, the United States looks horrible right now. Thank God for SpaceX, but you know, SpaceX still is not NASA. NASA is a flagship organization. It is the only organization on this planet that has ever placed another human being on another world. Uh, and the very real fact is that it is a matter of national pride that NASA continues to be an important player given the legacy and its failing. Uh, and uh, Kamala Harris, is the vice president traditionally, is the head of the National Space Council. And Harris is, is uh, you know, she's doing to space, American space policy, which she's been doing to U.S. border policy, which is basically ruining everything. Uh, and uh, she's not only been horrible for getting NASA's act together and sort of looking the other way on the real stupidity and mismanagement of NASA, uh, and the open space program since Biden took over. But she also has been on this kick since last December 
of banning, unilaterally banning, uh, U.S. military anti-satellite weapons testing. And what that basically means is that the ability to damage and, and target uh, a satellite uh, is a critical component of any military, modern military force. Uh, and the Russians and Chinese have developed over the last 15 years truly robust capabilities in that domain, whereas we have not. And we uh, are continuing to ignore the, um, the, the threat that they pose and are not de de uh, defining or developing our own threat uh, uh, with ASAT. And now, thanks to Kamala Harris's unilateral decision to not test these weapons, we will fall further behind and only make us weaker. Is it hard to assume that a person who went to Texas over the weekend, I guess Friday through the weekend, including yesterday, and sits down with uh, Chuck Todd at Meet the Press to assure us twice that our border is secure, wouldn't know anything about what she's talking about in our competition with space as well. I mean, did you see this interview with Chuck Todd yes, yesterday? Yes, I just retweeted it. So painful. Oh, my gosh, painful. Yeah. And lies, yeah, well, lies, see, lies. I mean, more let's, people let's, have died at the border this year, this year, than yeah. the entirety of the Trump administration, and she's blaming the problems of the Trump administration. Just imagine if you are an executive running even a medium-sized corporation and somebody like Kamala Harris, wanted a role of responsibility, uh, and you were tasked with determining whether you were going to hire her or not. Um, this individual, Kamala Harris, is so unqualified that uh, she wouldn't even, in a, in a sane world, be given a role as you know, running the internship department at a company, yeah. let alone... Uh, but but in our you know in our system the Democratic Party it, it's you fail upwards uh, and she's the right sex the right gender the right color the right age the you know she's everything they're looking for so they ignore the fact that she is a total incompetent this individual has never succeeded at and she can't even win an election she has it, it is it, she is utterly incompetent. And the fact that she is being charged with two of the most critical national security policies, space policy and immigration policy, or the border patrol issue, the border security issue, shows you both how pathetic the Biden administration is and how utterly incompetent she is. And when Biden leaves, and I suspect he'll leave soon, when he leaves, when she takes power, the country's really going to be uh, Brandon, uh, what what is your sense of this? Is your sense that the Democratic Party is in meltdown because they realize they have a case of insufficient options between Biden and Harris and they're going to look somewhere else? I don't know. I know people try to get to thinking that Michelle Obama would be a hell of a candidate. I don't think Michelle wants to do this. I really don't. I don't think she likes criticism. I don't think she likes it. I could be wrong. Or or, or you think they're looking at Gavin Newsom. It turns out their bench might be a little better than we think. But, boy, the options are not great, and they are all very far left wing. There is nothing to the to the even to the even close center of Joe Biden. Nothing. 
No, no. And California is our future if the Democrats win another election. We're already on our way there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Michelle Obama, I disagree. I think Michelle does want it. You do? I okay. think that I think that her hubby is pulling the strings behind the scenes of Biden right now. Most of his former advisors are top-notch advisors for Biden. So I think that I think that speech in Philadelphia, that had Obama's hand fingerprints all over it. Uh, I think that, the, I don't know if you saw recently last week, Michelle gave a rip-roaring yeah. speech from yeah. a leftist perspective yeah. at yeah. the White House, yeah. in which she further augmented Biden's insane rhetoric on the right, uh, you know, how we're enemies of the state. Uh, and then you look at also not just her, but then there's Gavin Newsom. Yep. Uh, there is Eric Adams of New York, yep. who pretends to be Mr. Law and Order, but is actually a radical leftist. Uh, who else? And you've got the dark horse, Hillary Clinton. Yep. She's still floating around out yep. there, and I'm not convinced she doesn't want to run again. Oh, uh, I agree with know, you about that. You know, I fully agree with you on Hillary. And so yeah. they, their, their bench is, yeah, it's thin, but it's not bad for them. And if, again, if you go back to how the electorate has so far been reacting to this horrible attack on the Republican Party calling us terrorists and how so many, quote-unquote, independents or those sort of normie voters, as the young people say today, uh, you look at how that's resonated on some sort of implicit level with those voters and how much tougher it is in deep red Ohio for the Republican candidate to get ahead of the Democrat candidate who should be losing by 20 points right now. Yeah. Um, if you look at how tight these elections are and you look at how many people seem to be OK with Mar-a-Lago being great. This is not a this is a very dangerous time. Oh, I know. The they didn't recall Newsom. Yeah, no, you're right. They're not recalling these people when given right. the opportunity. They're right. doubling down on the misery. I got to take Blasio, a break. Okay, sorry. No, yeah. no, I do. Um uh that's fine. Do you want to you want to stay for our short segment and wrap up on yeah. anything we didn't cover whether it's Iran sure. exporting missiles to Syria or anything like that? Yeah. yeah, we can do whatever. Yeah. All right. We'll be right back with some final and closing thoughts from Brandon. Jay Weicker, don't go away. Did you see this story? Yeah. Iran is uh, following the Soleimani doctrine and just exporting the terror onward and upward. Um, now in, uh, I shouldn't say now, I should say doubling down and again in Syria. I'm Seth East Brandon. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, and mucho thanks to Brandon Weikert, who joins us every week, um, author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, his brand spanking new book, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. You can pre-order now. You'll have it next month. Brandon, on Iran, a story that, you know, for people who kind of follow this stuff, Iran and Syria doesn't uh, doesn't raise eyebrows, but... It looks like this new level of uh, exporting of uh, advanced missile systems is of new and fresh concern, yes? Yes, it's part of a larger strategy from Iran. They are trying to basically encircle Israel. Uh, they've already got Lebanon. They've, they've, they've solidified their alliance not only with Hamas in the Palestinian territories, but also now with uh, Fatah. Uh, which is, uh, you know, the... the, the Mahmoud Abbas, of, Arafat yes, wing. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, the Iranians uh, have really coordinated now these groups, Hezbollah in Lebanon uh, and uh, Hamas and Fatah, and now they are solidifying their alliance with Syria, uh, which they've always had since the 80s, and they're enhancing it. Uh, in my book, I talk about what was known as the Precision Project. Right. Uh, the Precision Project was Iran's 
uh, plan to build precision-guided missiles uh, in Hezbollah-controlled areas of Lebanon to then use those missiles and launch them into Israel as part of what I believe is another intifada. Uh, and I think that this move with Syria is part of that. They already have advanced drone bases operating there. The Israelis have been blowing them up periodically. But basically, we're at the point now where there's a breakout of Iranian power, and this is largely because of the Biden administration's commitment to basically handing the region over to Iran and therefore the Chinese and the Russians and hit the chicken switch and flee as quickly as possible, just like they did in Afghanistan. And so uh, Israel is going to need our help if they're going to survive. This is a precarious moment for Israel, probably the most dangerous moment for the Israelis and the Jews since Hitler uh, was in uh, Germany, wow. and nobody seems to care in the in the United States. Wow. I've never I, the ambivalence is amazing. Wow, you're not one to give uh, given to making statements like that either, which makes it all the more uh, all the more pressing, Brandon. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you yeah, thank you, sir. Thank you, Brandon. Um, I may have to call you again this week. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, I will, please. I love it. I will. I, I will love to expand on the uh, that that rather caustic uh, statement I just made. No, it was um, it was it was important um, and moving. You can follow Brandon on Twitter as well, folks. At we the Brandon W E T H E Brandon at W E T H E Brandon Brandon J Weikert. Bless you, sir. Godspeed and thank you. Thank you. You, you too. Betcha. I'm Seth. Don't go away. Andy McCarthy on nine eleven coming right up. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.